Today on Him We Proclaim with Dr. John Fonville, a new series about the glorious second coming of Jesus Christ. You know, Christians have been waiting on the edge of their seats for millennia for this amazing event to occur called the glorious second coming, and it's definitely going to happen someday. It's the good news of the second coming that spurs us on when we feel like we have no hope. It keeps us from living foolish lives and instead making every moment count. So, are you ready for a hope-filled message? Let's listen now to this first installment in the series, The Glorious Second Coming of Jesus. Here's Pastor John with part one. All right, well, we're going to start a new study this week. And um, so if you have your Bibles, turn to the book of 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians. Um, We're going to return back to a study of the book of the Bible because that is the primary teaching that we have in our church is just go book by book and so we're going to be in the book of 2 Thessalonians for a while. Now, this morning is um, an introduction to the, the book of 2 Thessalonians. So I'll just give you a little bit of forewarning. This will be a lot of teaching today and not as much preaching per se. Uh, so put on your thinking caps because the challenge of being a preacher, I guess, if that's what you want to call me, is... Um, Trying to uh, uh, introduce a whole book of the Bible to uh, a whole church in one message in the morning, um, and it's like, how do you do this? So uh, I'm going to do my best to give you an introduction and to help you understand um, the big picture of what Paul's doing. The next week and the weeks ahead, we'll we'll just plow our way through the book and look at it. So. Uh, the book of Second Thessalonians, as you see, it's only three chapters, so it's quite short. Shouldn't take us too long to get through it, um, but it's a powerful letter. So let me talk about why did Paul write it, and what is its purpose. So let's just start there. Why did he write it? Um, and what were the circumstances under which he wrote it? What was its purpose? So let me give you some background material about the Thessalonians and the city of Thessalonica. Thessalonica was an important, flourishing city in Paul's day. It was the capital city of the Macedonian province. So if you're thinking, where is that? That's modern-day northern Greece um, and modern-day the southern part of Macedonia. So it's over in Europe. Um, If you're in Acts chapter 17, this is where you get the background and some of the history of when he planted the church In Acts chapter 17, Paul was accompanied by Silas and Timothy when he planted the Thessalonian church during his second missionary journey. So if you want to read about it, just go to Acts 17 this afternoon. But in verses 1 through 4 of Acts chapter 17, Paul goes into the Thessalonian city and he begins to proclaim the gospel and his, um, the reception that he and his companions, uh, Silas and Timothy, had was both positive and negative. In verse 4 of Acts 17, Luke tells us that a, lo- a good deal of pagan Greeks, Gentiles, came to saving faith in Christ as Paul and proclaimed the gospel to them. But then in verses 5 through 9, there was a massive response that was negative towards Paul and his companions, and a mob resulted from him preaching the gospel. This mob, this this persecution was so violent and so swift that Paul and Silas, Timothy, uh, Luke says, 
um, in verse 10 of Acts 17, were forced to leave the city of Thessalonica very quickly. And so Paul's stay in Thessalonica was a lot shorter than he wanted it to be. Acts 17, 2 says that he may have been there three Sabbath days, um, or at the most, he was there just a couple of months. But the point was, is he left very abruptly because the persecution was so intense. And so shortly after leaving his young little tiny church plant, these young converts in Thessalonica, Paul is in Athens, and that's where you hear about when he preached the gospel to the Athenians, right, at the marketplace on Mars Hill. And he was with Timothy in Athens, and he's desiring to know how is this little church plan and these young believers, how are they doing, you know, how are they faring under this great persecution? So he sends Timothy from Athens back to Thessalonica, and you can read about that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 17, to chapter 3, verse 2. So we're not going to take the time to do that this morning because we don't have time, but Paul records him sending Timothy back to find out how the Thessalonians are faring. And so while Timothy goes to Thessalonica, Paul and then Silas soon after, Paul and Silas go to Corinth. Timothy then goes back to Thessalonica, and then he travels from Thessalonica back to Corinth. This is Acts chapter 18 in 1 Thessalonians 3. And he travels back to Corinth, and he gives Paul the report. So he went to Thessalonica. He took the report of how the church was doing, and he travels back to Corinth, and he meets Paul and Silas in Corinth. And so in response to Timothy's report, Paul writes the letter of 1 Thessalonians. So that's how 1 Thessalonians came about. And he wrote it from Corinth about A.D. 50, which is perhaps about six months after he had abruptly left Thessalonica because of the intense persecution. And so what was in the report that Timothy gave Paul? Well, we can reconstruct Timothy's report by looking at the contents of 1 Thessalonians. So this was the content. Let me just give you the content because this has everything to do with 2 Thessalonians. Timothy reported to Paul that this young church filled with young, brand-new converts, this young church plan, was actually spiritually healthy, notwithstanding the intense persecution that they were facing. So this is very encouraging news to Paul. Second, Timothy reports that some, that some outside of the church were slandering the apostle Paul. And they were accusing Paul of trying to make money off of the Thessalonian believers because in Paul's day in the first century, traveling teachers in the first century were known to be charlatans who ripped people off for money. And so they were saying, well, Paul just came to your city quickly and the persecution hit. He took what he could get and he took off. So Paul is just in it for the money. He doesn't care about you. And so Paul was being slandered to these young converts. Third, Timothy reports how the young church members were disturbed and alarmed over questions concerning the second coming of Christ. And then the fourth part of the report was that some church members, because they had a false understanding of the second coming of Christ, some church members were being led to become lazy and idle, giving up their jobs and not working. 
And so shortly after Paul's first letter was delivered to this young church plant, 1 Thessalonians, Paul then receives additional reports about the condition of the Thessalonian church. So in response to these new reports, he writes 2 Thessalonians from Corinth. And he does this shortly after 1 Thessalonians, which is again is AD 50, maybe at the most early AD 51. And so we can reconstruct the reports, uh, the content of the, the second report from the book of 2 Thessalonians, which is what we're going to be studying. Let me just tell you what was in the reports that he received. The, the, the contents of the book of 2 Thessalonians shows us that the problems that were in 1 Thessalonians have now escalated and gotten worse. But there was also good news, and the good news in this second series of reports is that these young believers, this young church plant continues to be spiritually healthy despite the ongoing persecution they're facing. So that was the positive. But the bad news is that these young, uh, these young Thessalonian believers were increasingly alarmed over a false understanding of the second coming of Christ still. And these false teachers had come into the church, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 2, and they were teaching a false doctrine of the second coming of Christ. Basically what happened is they were telling these young believers that the day of the Lord had already come and they had missed Christ's second coming. The Christ had already arrived. And so because of this false teaching in chapter 3, some of them had left their day jobs and they became disorderly in the church, and they were depending upon other members in the church for their daily bread, their physical sustenance for life. They weren't working anymore. And so Paul, again, has to address the problem of idleness in the church that had escalated among the church members. So that's the occasion and purpose of 2 Thessalonians. So you, you have to read First and Second Thessalonians together to get the whole picture, and that's the big picture. So this brings us, what is the theme of 2 Thessalonians? Well, when you look at the book of 2 Thessalonians, it's organized around one central theme. The, the, the central theme is summarized in chapter 1, verse 7, and chapter 1, verse 10. So just look at it with me just briefly. 2 Thessalonians, look at chapter 1, verse 7. Look at this phrase. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven. That's the theme. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven, look at verse 10. When he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints. So you take these two phrases out of verses 7 and verse 10, out of verse 7 and verse 10 of 2 Thessalonians, and clearly 2 Thessalonians is a second coming letter. It is a second coming letter, and it's important to note that Jesus. Paul says in verse 10, listen carefully, is revealed, he comes again to be glorified. Everything in chapter 1, as we're going to see, points to the glorification of God. And we see that in verses 10 through 12. God's glory, Paul's teaching, will be consummated at Jesus' second coming. It, he, he will be glorified in his second coming. So what we can say then is that the theme of 2 Thessalonians is this. Here it is. It is all about the glorious second coming of Jesus. 
That's the theme, the hope of the gospel. The second coming of Christ is the hope of the gospel. So we could say it like this. The theme of 2 Thessalonians is about the hope of the gospel in which God is glorified. So um, let me just make a quick application point about this as we move through this. It's important to observe from this letter that Paul's teaching on the second coming of Jesus stands in stark contrast to much of the sensational and fanatical teaching on eschatology that we can run into today in popular American evangelicalism, especially on TV like TBN, right? Um, Let me give you one example from my family that happened just this past week. Um, During family devotions this past week, uh, David raised his hand and said, Daddy, I got a question. And I said, okay, what's your question? He said, Daddy, um, um, my teacher at school this week told me in class that Jesus is going to return next year. <laughs> I'm like, oh, wow. Um, put down the Heidelberg Catechism and focus on David. <laughs> I'm like, what? <laughs> Could you repeat that? Uh, he said, yeah, Daddy, he said, my teacher taught us this week, that, or today, actually, that Jesus is going to return next year. I said, well, what does he base that on? He says, because he told us that Jesus' return has everything to do with the dating of Israel's reconstitution as a nation state. So we just had another Bible study at that point. <laughs> um, Paul has no interest in the irresponsible, fanciful date setting in this letter about the second coming of Christ. Um, His objective in 2 Thessalonians is not to satisfy wild curiosity and fanciful speculations about end-time events associated with Jesus' second coming. So we're not having the Jerusalem Times on one hand, and we're not having Fox News on TV on the other hand, and and the Bible in the middle, and trying to say every event, oh, there he is. And like some, I had some people during Barack Obama's presidency email me and say, hey, we've heard from this Bible teacher that Barack Obama is the Antichrist, John, and what are we going to do about that? I still have the email. Uh, I can assure you, I don't know who the Antichrist is, but I can assure you it's not Barack Obama, okay? He was our past president, and that's all he was. He's not the Antichrist. Fanciful, irresponsible speculation is not the point Paul's making here. Um, Paul's intent with teaching us about the second coming of Christ is pastoral. He has an, an ethical objective in mind. The theme, the glorious second coming of Jesus, this hope of the gospel, controls all three chapters of 2 Thessalonians. So this brings us to an outline of the book. And this outline, I hope this morning, will give you a a summary view, the big picture, the contents of this letter. So the glorious second coming of Jesus underlines Paul's thought in each chapter the blessed hope of the gospel. So let's, let me just outline for you and walk you through the whole book this morning very quickly. Um, following Paul's initial Christianized welcome or greeting in verses 1 through 2 of chapter 1, this is what we have. Chapter 1, verses 3 to 12, we have the comfort 
of the glorious second coming of Jesus. Chapter 1 is all about the comfort of the glorious second coming of Jesus. The pressing pastoral matter, because remember Paul's objective is pastoral, ethical, not fanciful. The pressing pastoral matter that Paul is addressing in chapter 1 is the persecution of believers, hardship, suffering. The key pastoral issue of chapter 1 is comfort. So Paul begins in verses 3 to 4 expressing his thanksgiving gratitude over the report that he's received from Timothy concerning the Thessalonian spiritual health in the midst of persecution. And then because they're being so persecuted in Thessalonica, Paul wants to comfort, he wants to assure these young persecuted believers, this young vulnerable church plant, he wants to assure them with the comfort that at the glorious second coming of Jesus, their persecutors will receive vengeance. That's what he says in chapter 1, verse 8. God will pour out his vengeance on those who persecute his church. And then in verse 10, he says, I want you to also have comfort knowing that not only will God pour vengeance on those who persecute my church, but also when, the, when Jesus comes again, my people will receive vindication. Chapter 1, verse 10. And so the summary of chapter 1 is the glorious second coming of Jesus, Paul teaches us, comforts suffering Christians by bringing vengeance on persecutors and vindication to saints. And that's great comfort. The Lord's vengeance on his enemies and on the church's enemies and the Lord's vindication of his faithful saints glorifies God. That's Paul's whole argument here. And so we can say that the Lord is glorified in his second coming, both in judgment and in salvation. That's chapter 1. Here's chapter 2. In chapter 2, we have the signs of the glorious second coming of Jesus. That's all of chapter 2. The pressing pastoral matter that Paul addresses in chapter 2 is false teaching concerning the second coming of Jesus. The key pastoral issues of chapter 2 are calm and correct. Due to false teachers, I said, as I said, some of the young believers had become alarmed, 2 Thessalonians 2, 2, thinking that the second coming of Christ had already arrived. And so Paul's aim in chapter 2 is to calm these alarmed young believers by correcting the false understanding of both the nature and timing of Jesus' second coming. So Paul informs his young converts that two events must occur before Jesus comes again. And if these two events have not occurred, take, be calm, don't be alarmed because you haven't missed his second coming. What are these two events? Chapter 2, verse 3, Paul says that the two events that must occur before Jesus' second coming is a great religious apostasy where people no longer tolerate the truth of the gospel and rebel against it and fall away inside the visible church. 
So there's coming a great religious apostasy, and it's connected, he says, with the revelation of the lawless one whom he calls the son of destruction. That is the great antichrist figure who is to come. And so the key pastoral issues of chapter 2 are to calm and correct, calm, alarm believers by correcting the errors of false teachers who are making them become alarmed about the second coming of Christ. So how do we summarize chapter 2? The glorious second coming of Jesus, Paul argues, calms alarmed believers by informing them that two events must occur before the Lord's second coming. And then we come to chapter 3. And chapter 3 is this. It is living in view of the glorious second coming of Jesus. So how do we live out as we wait Jesus to come? Paul teaches that in chapter 3. The pressing pastoral matter that Paul addresses in chapter 3 is idleness among some of these young believers. And the key pastoral issues of chapter 3 are command and discipline. Command and discipline. Now, I showed you that Paul had previously, because of reports from Timothy in 1 Thessalonians, addressed the problem of idleness in the Thessalonian church. This problem has now escalated and gotten worse. Because of false teachers, these believers had become idle, and because of the false teaching about Christ's second coming, they had left their daily places of employment, and Paul says they have become, quote, busybodies, meddling in the affairs of others. Uh, this language of busybody literally means this, one who puts his spoon in someone else's cup. So what the Thessalonian believers had done was because they had a false understanding of the second coming of Christ and left their day jobs, they were now depending on other believers in the church for their complete physical sustenance. They were putting their spoon, so to speak, in everyone else's cup and becoming busybodies, meddling in the affairs of others and disrupting the church through their disorderly conduct. And so Paul responds to this, and he calls for restorative discipline of those who are disorderly in the church, and he commands the church to stay away from those who are disorderly, and he directly demands the disorderly to repent of their unruly behavior in the church. That's chapter 3. And so he calls on us, rather than living as busybodies in view of Christ's second coming, He exhorts the Thessalonian believers and all of us in view of the second coming of Christ to live orderly lives and not grow weary of doing good because Jesus is coming back. That's basically chapter 3. So it's important to note as a point of application before we move on is what's important to note is this, is that Paul shows us in chapter 3 how the hope of the gospel, the second coming of Christ, encourages believers to live godly, orderly, rather than ungodly, disorderly lives. Don't let anybody ever tell you the gospel is a license to sin. Paul destroys that 
teaching in chapter three and shows you that when you place your hope, when you place your faith in the hope of the gospel, the second coming of Christ, it will lead and encourage you to pursue godliness in your life. And so here's the summary of chapter three. The glorious second coming of Jesus corrects disorderly Christians and it encourages faithful Christians to live lives so of godliness so that the church, chapter 3, verse 16, can live in peace. That's his argument. So what is Paul doing in 2 Thessalonians? Let me just break it down very simply in the outline. Here's, here are the pressing, there are three pressing pastoral issues because of the reports he received that he wants to help correct. And so based on this report, here's the outline of 2 Thessalonians, chapter 1, to comfort persecuted Christians. Chapter 2, to calm alarmed Christians. Chapter 3, to correct disorderly Christians. That's 2 Thessalonians right there. Thanks, John. The message you just heard is called The Glorious Second Coming of Jesus, Part 1. The mission of Him We Proclaim is to bring you the gospel of good news each weekday. And it's our prayer that your heart will be filled with joy and a clear understanding of the gospel and God's word. If you want to hear a past broadcast, check out our podcast in iTunes or download our app. Just search for Dr. John Fonville in iTunes or Google Play. Him We Proclaim is a broadcast of Dr. John Fonville. If you would like to visit Pastor John's church in Jacksonville, Florida, you're always welcome. You can find out more at ParamountChurch.com. Thanks for listening and join us next time 